Um, just a quick recap on last week, because uh, there wasn't a lot here last week, but um, we were just looking at the end of Ephesians chapter 3 on the subject of being filled, and uh, we were just spending a little bit of time um, considering right at the, the verse 14, really, about bowing the knee before the Father. And uh, it was a, a subject, I think, which we were looking at is about attitude. I think it's very important, of course, and when we go going through this letter together, uh, it's one of the things that really comes to the fore time and time again, is the question that's being asked in, in, in different ways is, uh, what think ye of the Christ? That's basically what's coming out all the time. And that is some, a subject that we just constantly need to be challenged with in our Christian lives because it's all about our motivation. And we thought about that last week about what is it that motivates us? And what is it that forms our um, attitude to the things of God? Paul when he considered his salvation and he considered his calling, he considered as to where he had been brought to, he says he bowed the knee. Because it was something that was just so important to him. It was something that was so high on his agenda that nothing else was as important as what he had been called out of and what he'd been called into that that was something where he bowed the knee before his God. And the challenge to us, of course, is that we have similar attitude to the things of God. The challenge is that do we listen to God speaking to us? And the challenge is to ask yourself, when's the last time God spoke to you? And what did he say? And how did you respond? These are the things that were coming out and Paul's challenging the church of God in Ephesus. And of course, this is the word of God. It is living and it is active. It is like a two-edged sword. It's from the mouth of Christ himself. And we have got to really have this attitude that when we sit down and we open the word of God or you sit down and listen to somebody speaking from the word of God that we have this attitude this is God speaking and we bow the knee not necessarily physically but you bow the knee in humility because God is speaking and therefore it's as if he's in the room because he is in the room and he's speaking directly to you because that's what he is doing and therefore, how do we respond to this? And how important is it in all the other aspects of our life? We talked about it, us, us being a prepared vessel. As the need to really consider where you've come from, to empty yourself of the things of this world. There are things in this world that we have to be involved in. We have to live we have to make a living, we have to work, we have to mix with our families, uh, we have 
got things to do, but overall in our lives, is there an overarching attitude that God is in control of our lives and that we have given ourselves as empty vessels to be filled with his Holy Spirit in order that he will use us and guide and direct us and that we are willing participants, not looking to God as somebody who, a bit like a Father Christmas saying, well, you know, uh, I'd like this and I'd like that and could you help me over here whilst I'm doing this, that and the next thing. But rather to be still, to know that he is God and to wait on him and with an expectancy that he will answer and that he will direct and therefore that when you are walking and I am walking that we are doing so in his will and therefore that we are not rebellious by nature, that we're not doing, seeking our own individual desires, but that we are walking in his will. And I suppose the challenge, again, is to each one of us, as it was to the church in Ephesus, you know, are you sure that that's what you're doing? There is so much confusion out there in different Christendom <clears throat> as to the people doing things that are different to maybe what we do in the Church of God in Manchester, in the fellowship. And we have to challenge and look at it and challenge ourselves with how confident are we that we are in the will of God and that he is using us and guiding us and that we can confidently be offering ourselves in service to him. The power of the Holy Spirit, we just finished in talking a little bit about that last week, about the, again, just overcoming the natural inclination to say, I am no good. I can't do these things. There's other people that are better than me. Um, each one of us, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, we all know this, um, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the question we just need to keep challenging ourselves with is how limiting is that what limits do you put on the Holy Spirit when you say or I say I can't do this or I am unable to do that are we saying that we haven't got as much of the Holy Spirit as this other person and of course, it's challenging when you think that, that God has called us and God is using us and has a purpose for us. And if he has a purpose for us, then he will make sure that we are endowed with the power that we need. And there is no excuse. We can't stand before God one day and say, you didn't give us enough help. You didn't give us enough power. You didn't give us enough of your spirit. God will give us what we need, but we need to recognise that and submit to him. Let's just read now from chapter 4. <coughs> now this is the subject, obviously, we're looking at is the unity of the faith. So it's the first 16 verses. 
I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has given, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. <coughs> Paul introduces this section as he says I am a prisoner of the Lord I think you know when Paul in his experiences um, he was a physical prisoner and he was curtailed physically in his work for the Lord or was he you get here Paul indicating that the idea of being a prisoner and a prisoner of the Lord is also like a prisoner in the Lord where he is subjecting himself to the Lord and if the Lord wants to put him in prison then there's a purpose for that and he'll accept it. And the Lord will use him as he obviously did, where he wrote many lovely things, where the Holy Spirit worked in his heart as he penned these letters that were sent out when he was in prison. He was a prisoner of the Lord, but that was a good thing. It again comes back to this attitude that Paul had that we should learn from is what's wrong with being a prisoner of the Lord? 
being a prisoner in a prison, and I imagine 2,000 years ago, these prisons must have been pretty horrendous places. That physically it would be a terrible place to be in. But Paul rejoiced in these things because as long as he knew that the Lord's purposes were being worked out in his life, then he was happy. He was content. He could endure the physical difficulties. Where do we come in in this? In our lives? It's very interesting to hear um, mainly Rhoda's report about the, the, the conditions that some of the Burmese live in. These are fellow saints who are living in a what we would classify as poverty and David's seen it in the Philippines and others have seen it elsewhere in so-called third world countries. But the, the usual response that, that comes back as to how do these people cope with it is that they've got a remarkable cheeriness and happiness and joy in their poverty because their physical po poverty seems to be, in most cases I imagine, offset by their spiritual richness that they have because they need God on a daily basis. They rely on God on a daily basis and therefore it gives them a strength that maybe we're lacking because we've got money in the bank and we're always thinking, well, if things go bad, we can always go along and draw out some more money to help us fix whatever problem has come along. If you don't have that, then your trust and your faith in God is much deeper. So I, Paul was here is entreating from his understanding, his appreciation of life that he's suffered. He is entreating the rest of us. First of all, the Church of God in Ephesus <coughs> But for those 2,000 years later reading this, he's entreating us to walk worthy of our calling. Again, it comes back to attitude, is understanding our calling, that you and I were called out of death into life, and to really appreciate that will be shown in how we respond as to if we are really aware of where we were heading if we were really understanding of what our eternal death was going to be like then to be safe from that takes on a magnitude of appreciation surely if we lose that vision if we lose that understanding if we forget it, if we start acting as if we were born saved and uh, we've just inherited it through our parents or where we were born, then we lose the understanding that I think is necessary to be able to appreciate our calling. You are called out of and you are called into. There's not just this attitude of the, that we must have of appreciation but then how does that respond how do we respond to our onward calling and service for god
that God calls us for a purpose. He saved us for a purpose. It's sad, I think, if any of us just accept that and go into automatic mode because God has other purposes for us and it's possible for us to deny God. It's possible for us to deny the Holy Spirit within us. It's possible for us to grieve the Spirit. It's possible for us to have Christ outside our heart trying to get in. It's also possible for God to turn his back on us. These are the sad side, but it comes, I think, from appreciating our calling. We need to understand it with a sense of humility because there is nothing that we can stand up and justify and say, well, the Lord called me because I am such and such. I am, have an ability. I, I was born with a creativity or uh, certain gifts that I'm able to do. So therefore, because I've got these things, God's decided you'll use me. That's totally wrong. With a sense of humility, we have got to re realize that we were nothing. We are nothing. And God has raised us up out of nothing. And he's decided in his grace and in his wisdom to use us to his glory. And he's called us. He's called us into a group of people of like mind. And this is where the unity bit comes in. The importance that Paul continually stresses on unity is that you've been called, therefore you have been given life, you have been given the Holy Spirit who enables you and I to understand what we read, and therefore we have been given the ability to start with milk, but eventually go on to the, the meat. And as we grow, then we can be used more fully. But we need to have a humility. It's from God. Any ability we've got is from God. It's not of us. We should not be thinking that we are particularly good and therefore, uh, because of that, God is using it. It's the other way around. God is raising you up. He has a purpose for you. He's asking you. He's giving you the means, the gift necessary to fulfill his will. And we need to, in all humility, just be able to say, thank you, Lord, for calling me. Thank you for using me. I am eternally grateful that you, the great God of heaven, deem little me, a sinner saved by grace, who is absolutely empty of worth and you have given me the ability to go out and talk about you and to be able to be even in some small degree like your son to be christ-like and to draw people <coughs> out of darkness into light because you're using me as an instrument that unity of the Spirit means that 
we are drawn towards other people of like mind. That as we study the word of God and as we grow in the body of Christ, and that's an interesting thought as well, is that the, the body of Christ, of course, is a continually growing thing, not just from the numbers. Um, obviously, it includes the, the dead in Christ. It includes those living today in Christ are all in the body of Christ and all connected to the head, which is Christ is that is a unity in itself. And that is a body that the gates of Hades cannot prevail against. But it's a growing thing. It grows because there's people being added to it all the time. But it grows because when you and I were added to the body, we were empty vessels. And we grow up in a knowledge and an understanding of Christ. We're growing into the head. That's what Paul was saying. We are growing. And in order to enhance the body, to develop the body, then our individual responsibility is to make sure that we, as one part of it, are growing in spirituality. And that's the challenge to us, is that to look at where you were last year spiritually, have you grown in the 12 months or however long you want to look back? Look back to your salvation and say, have I grown from the time I was saved? How has God used me? Am I in the word? Am I growing in the body? Are the benefits evident? Paul goes on to talk about that there is one body and one spirit and you were called in one hope of your calling. There is this oneness that he's challenging our thoughts to go down. That the body of Christ is, of course, something that we should channel our thoughts on because that is all important. That's our salvation. That's our life eternal in the body of Christ. One spirit. We are indwelt by the spirit. Therefore, we have life eternal. Of course, that is important. And that's where the unity comes in. Look at it. Without unity, you have disunity. <laughs> and I think the Tower of Babel is a very good example of that. When they were united with one voice, they were able to do great things, albeit disobedient to God. But as soon as God <coughs> came in and caused disunity by bringing in the language problem, the whole place crumbled. And that is just a picture, of course, of any unity that we have. If we want to be united in Christ, if we want to be united in service for God, if we want to be a priesthood, then unity is of the absolute importance that we are of one mind. We in the churches of God stress that probably more than any other Christian denomination uh, where unity we talk about the united elderhood as just a, an expression that's used where those that have the rule over us, uh, we want to get together to be of one mind so that we can channel our activities as one. I think I've said this before from here, but uh, since I've been in oversight, it's, I've seen it many times 
the submission of one group of brethren to another is a lovely thing to see. And it's humbling that you can go into discussions absolutely sure you're right and you've got all the facts and figures before you and uh, you're going to go there and you're going to win the argument. And then you come out because you've heard other people's views and the working of the Spirit and you submit because the majority maybe of other people are giving a contrary view and it's a view that maybe you've not thought about whereas if you'd been on your own you'd have stuck <laughs> with that thought and that idea but until other, the Lord brings other people and the Spirit works in other people towards you you realise that coming together you then have a clearer picture of the direction that God wants you that's submission and submission in, in practice is lovely to see and it's something that should be seen in every aspect of our Christian lives together you come together seeking of one mind but obviously there's going to be differences of opinion but to with a gentleness and a love and this is what Paul's saying if you've got the love for each other and the love for God's things then the outcome you want is unity. You want to be one. As the Lord prayed, that uh, they would be one as we are one. The oneness of the Godhead is the supreme example. The way the Lord Jesus Christ conducted himself as a man on earth is the supreme example of submission. He'd only come to do the will of his Father. But he was in the mind of his father. He was at one with his father. And they just were one. That's what we should be aiming for in the oneness. Is this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. And who's through all and is in all. But to each of us, grace was, giving, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And again, it comes back to what I said at the beginning, is that God supplies the means. If you have a, and I have a desire for unity, for a oneness, to want to go forward as a priesthood, as those in the Lord, as those in the churches of God and we want to be one, then there has to be the humility, the grace and the love that goes with it, which God will provide if you ask for it, if you seek it and if you act it out. And this is what Paul was saying. I'll tramp on. In verse 8 where it says that when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men I've spoken about this before but again it's just the the picture again of appreciating the person that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ that, um, that he went into Hades he went into hell he gave up his spirit and he went into allow himself to be captured, allowed himself to be 
under the power of Satan for a short period of time. He subjected himself even to death. It's one of these pictures I mean, you may well have considered yourself uh, to try and imagine um, what it was like. And I think we get a little bit of a picture on the, the um, parable the Lord spoke about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. That in hell there was an upper and a lower. There was a place that was called paradise, which was referred to as being in the bosom of Abraham. And it was a lovely place. But it was a place of captivity because it was in the earth and they were captives. They couldn't leave. But it was a beautiful place for those who trusted in God. But there was a lower part, Hades or lower Sheol, where the rich man went and he was in torment. He was in real suffering. So the, the picture, again, is one we can debate a lot of the, the two parts, uh, the separation between good and evil. And, but it was all controlled by Satan, if you like, until Christ came in. And he went in and it says that he led captivity captive. So he goes in there and he put, allows himself to be subject to the power of Satan until it says that God raised him from the dead. And out of there, he led all the, he emptied the place <laughs> uh, of these Old Testament saints and led out and Satan couldn't stop it because the power of God is far greater than the power of Satan. And uh, when he did lead this, this picture is a beautiful picture, I think, of uh, leading them out into heaven. And I think I've mentioned it before. I like to just think of Satan standing there absolutely powerless. He couldn't stop it. Because God raised Christ. And through that resurrection, through his ascension, came the overcoming the power of death. And these saints taken out, places emptied. And he gave gifts to men. These gifts, we went on to talk about these, some as uh, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That is a lovely picture of the importance that we should give to the ability that we have been given, the gifts that we have been given, the importance in finding out what they are, whether you consider them small or great. If it's a gift from God, I don't think there's such a thing as a small gift. It's just God has called you for a purpose. That purpose has got a magnitude because it's of God. <coughs> and it's recognising it. And whether it's one of these ones that are mentioned here or something else, it's all for service. It's all for to develop you and I in Christ. If we're focused on him, we grow in him. And it's for the building up of the body. Now, the building up of the body means that the churches of God are in the body. And when it comes to the building up of individual churches of God, then that's, that's an offshoot of this. We're building up of the body of Christ. 
will automatically mean the building up of the churches of God. It should do. Because if each one of us is individuals, if we have that attitude, that looking to the head and looking to what he's given us and in recognition of the power of God and recognition of our inheritance, but in recognition of our service here and the importance of that, then it comes down again to our motivation. What are we doing for God? Now, just as a throw in, you know, that the overseers in Manchester are obviously, you see, obviously, we are in prayerful concern for each one of you. Um, for the Church of God in Manchester, it, we are desirous that all of us, all 40 odd, I've forgotten how many we are, are, are growing. Now, the natural thing is that that doesn't always happen. You might get half that are growing and a quarter that are stagnant and a quarter that are going downhill. Maybe that's normal. But the concern is that we do something about that. And therefore, the purpose of looking at the book of Ephesians and looking at Paul's concern for them and what he was saying from God is the same concern that we have for each other. And therefore, we are looking to ourselves first and to each other to see, is there this growth? Is Manchester Assembly growing? You need to ask yourself, are you growing spiritually? Are you growing, enhancing the body of Christ? Are you growing into the head? Are you increasing your knowledge of Christ and your understanding of the will of God? That's a, a personal question, but are you utilising the gifts that God's given you? Are you serving him? Are you growing? And as I said at the beginning, do you feel that after a, a year you have grown spiritually? Are you a better understanding of God? If the answer to that is no, then what can you do about it? Well, I think this is what this is all about, is to get down on your knees. You and I, ought the overseers, the saints in the church, and be pleading with God to say, show us where the hindrance is. And there will be hindrances, because if the answer is we're not growing, then that's because Satan's active. That's because something is hindering our growth. Are we in the word of God? How often do you listen to God speak to you? How often do you open your Bible or your iPad and listen to what God is saying? How often do we do this? How often do we respond to God? These are things that are basic, maybe, but they are of the utmost importance because this is all about growth. And that is what is required in the body of Christ and will be seen in churches of God if people are submitting in all humility to the will of God.
He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Again, appreciation of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has got the ability to fill all things. And that is in our lives. That doesn't matter what problems or difficulties or hurdles that Satan brings in into our lives he is able to overcome those if we will only submit to him and although he has given us these gifts he's equipped us he's um, equipped us for service building up of the body for the unity to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son it's a maturity that is what we are he's really saying here to attain the unity of the faith is a spiritual maturity which is growth and it must all be done in love. If we don't love which comes from God, if we don't love one another, if we don't love the things of God, if we don't love what Christ has done for us, then the difficulty is going to be obvious that we're not going to be motivated to grow. We're not going to be motivated to attain the unity of the faith what is the it is the will of god that's basically all it is we can complicate it in many ways but faith is the will of god and it's to know the will of god and to understand and to understand and have knowledge of the son of god that that is the foundation for our work for him it's a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that we're no longer children, that we're not tossed about with different doctrines. We should, as we grow and mature, when we hear other doctrines, then we should be able to challenge them ourselves. Not run away from it, but think, well, these people believe that. Why do they believe that? Where do they get that from? Where is it in the Word of God? Um, if we don't read the Word of God, then we're going to be, as Paul's saying, we'll be tossed about. We won't understand because we, we will say, well, that seems like a good idea to me. It becomes a human response that, oh, well, these people, uh, they only meet for remembrance once a month. That, that's a good idea. I mean, it saves us going out quite so often. That's a good idea. Why don't we do that then? Well, if you don't read the word of God, then that seems like a good idea. Why don't we do that? But what does God think? And again, this is where the mature Christian comes to the maturity in growing. And what does Christ say? What did Christ say? How important was it to Christ that we gather together a bit more often? Why did the early churches of God, how often did they do it? Oh, they gathered on the first day of the week. Why? Because that was important to them they wanted to start off a week thinking about christ and that helped them grow if you cease the gathering together then the difficulties will come in the divisions will come in the disunity will appear but speaking 
the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I think that just sums it up better than I could, that last verse. The building up of the unity in Christ. Proper working of each individual part. That's us. And our part in the churches of God, within the body of Christ, ensuring that we are focused on Christ and that we are working aligned to the head.